This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Well, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. All right. Well, today we're, we're going to work on two thoughts. At least I, I hope. I hope to get to two different thoughts uh, for today. I um, I was thinking about doing a lesson on just patience, and uh, I decided to, to look at you know, looking at this, just to look at the whole passage of Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, where where Paul talks about walking by the Spirit, and then he shows you walk by the flesh or you walk by the Spirit. And so I want us to look at all that, kind of glance at those things. And that's going to be the first half of the radio program, if everything goes well. The second half, I want us to look at this article that Guy Orbison wrote, he wrote this in Working in the Word back in 2014, January of 2014. And I want to go over that. I like this, and I think it's very useful and needful for all of us today. Because there's two big problems I see in our culture, our culture here in America. Number one is the way we walk. We are walking by flesh and not by the Spirit. And then number two, we procrastinate. We don't get things done. Now, I think a lot of times that's by design. If you, uh, I think people who don't want to, uh, hmm, how do you put this? People who don't want a particular law to come in place or a particular rule or they don't they want society to move in a different direction instead of uh, getting things done so that the country does move that direction they they don't do it because they want to move it toward another direction so they do all they can to not allow things to get done does that make sense you probably know what i'm thinking of there but we're not going to get into that let's start with paul's writing here in galatians chapter 5 Verses 13 to 26. Let's start by reading. Do we want to start with... uh, Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me me say this first. Uh, In in the last uh, right part of Galatians 5, or the first part of chapter 5, Paul's uh, uh, discussion of freedom and slavery, that that went all the way back to chapter 4, verse 8, but... If the Galatian Christians accept what's going on here in the letter, if they accept the teaching of the Judaizers, if they move toward that legalistic type of approach to religion, you know, all the rules and regulations, then they're enslaved again. They're no longer free. And Paul's already shown that Christ has set us free from any system of law. Uh, The very first verse of chapter 5 It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, verses 13 to 15, Paul adds this disclaimer 
here about freedom in Christ. And he starts off there in verse 13 saying, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So simply because we have freedom, that does not mean that we can do just anything we please. The binding of Judaistic law is one extreme, but there is the opposite end of the spectrum that says freedom means no one can tell me what to do. We might label the two extremes as legalism and libertarianism, right? Some might get the idea that if we are not under a law system, then that must mean there are no restraints. Paul is saying that this would be missing the point. The key to unlock any misconception and to avoid both extremes is love. Love is the predominant attribute of God. It is what characterizes the mission of Christ in coming to this realm. We may summarize all that God is, all that Christ is, and all that we should be with that word love, right? It is the great governing principle for all the actions of God. It is the motivation for his creating us and the reason for his redeeming us. And it must become the governing principle that guides us in our freedom. So verse 14 shows, here's how love overcomes both of these extremes, the illegalist uh, extreme and the libertarianism extreme. He says there in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love fulfills the law. It keeps us from legalism of the Judaizers. If we all loved our neighbors as ourselves, we would not need to, a, a law to tell us not to do evil things to our neighbor. Laws are given to allow men to dwell together. Law is an attempt to check evil behavior so that there may be peace and harmony. But if we all were guided by love, who would need a law, right? In a same manner as that, love also keeps us from libertarianism, Instead of going our own way, doing as we please, and that is what libertarianism is. I know I'm talking to Arizonans, and we're pretty a libertarian type of state. But hear me out. If we go our own way, doing what we want, and never really considering others, the, uh, uh, though lo through love we serve one another, right? Verse 13. Paul does not say that we are slaves of others but that we slave for one another. See the difference there? I'm not a slave of somebody. I'm a slave for somebody. We, I did a, a lesson on that not too long ago. The difference between saying of and for, those words are important. Love demands that we look in out, I'm sorry, love demands that we look outside of ourselves and we consider how our actions will affect others. Now, verse 15 Paul says, but if you bite 
and devour one another, take care, lest you be consumed by one another. And what is that suggesting? The Galatians needed a good dose of love. Verse 26, we note that the Galatians were boastful and challenging one another. They were envying one another. There seems to have been great turmoil in the various congregations there of that region, likely brought about by the introduction of the Judaistic teachings. Whenever something new is introduced, debate ensues. People take sides, and division can result. The expressions bite and devour are terms normally applied to animals. These Christians are tearing one another apart. Like a pack of wild animals, they are preying on one another. If it continues, none will be left. Now let's take a moment here before we move on to verse 16. And think about what's happening in our society. Okay? Hang on. We have, you, you can look almost at any section of the country, and it's divided in two. You got the Antifa BLM group, uh, and what was the other side of that? I guess uh, American, or maybe it's Trump people, or, or law abiding. Let's do that. Law abiding folks. Because one's anarchist, then that is the BLM and Antifa group. That's anarchist. And then you got law-abiding. And then you have uh, those who get the vaccination and those who do not get the vaccination. Then you have the Republicans and you got the Democrats. And then you got the progressive left and you have the uh, uh, extreme right, I guess, or the right side. I don't know uh, what they are calling that group. But it, it is division, it's divided everywhere you go. Uh, right now, the main the main one that not getting much media press, or, or I guess maybe it is, is the those who get the vaccination and those who do not get the vaccination. Boy, they're at, at odds all the time. I hear it even in the in the congregations. Uh, people are not happy that uh, everyone's not getting the vaccination, and then those who are not getting the vaccination are tired of being told that they have they they need to go get that and be bombarded everywhere they go, uh, no matter what. I'm I'm indifferent. Now, I personally, I got the vaccination. Um, however, I know quite a few folks who did not, and that's okay. Does that mean that I will not get the virus? No, it's not an actual vaccination. Uh, it, but it will limit how much it hurts or bothers me, my body. You can still get the virus, but it'll be mild at the most. So at this point, everyone's had an opportunity to get the vaccination. If you don't want to get it, I'm okay with that. But the other, there's other groups, uh, people inside this group who got the vaccination who think, you're going to get everyone killed. No, no. You might get flu-like symptoms, but you should be okay. Oh, but you said should. Well, yeah, nothing's guaranteed in life. But I don't think we should ever force anyone to take a vaccination. That's my, my stance. I'm not a libertarian on that. I'm not saying or anything like that. But if they so choose not to, that's fine. I took it. If I get the uh, uh, coronavirus, it'll be a slight flu. Well, what if I have medical conditions? Well, then even a regular flu could, could uh, kill you too. Anything could. You cannot. We cannot divide ourselves like we are today 
is going to, we're going to bite and devour ourselves and destroy this country. And I think this is all by design. I think that's what a group wants out there. We need love, folks. We need love. Verse 16 here in Galatians is a thematic statement for the rest of the material here in chapter 5. And it, it speaks of a contrast. See, I was talking about, you know, you got Republican, Democrat, vaccinated, not vaccinated, this, that, anarchist, the other, whatever. Well, here's what it really is. All of this really comes down to these two things. And the contrast between flesh and spirit. Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And this goes for both sides of whatever argument. In reality, these are two guidance systems. One is evil. The other is righteous. They lead to different results in our lives. Different decisions that we make as to the direction our lives will take. Properly distinguishing between the terms flesh and spirit is crucial to our understanding of the passage. The word flesh is found 16 times in 14 verses here of Galatians. In chapter 1, verse 16, it refers to a human being, flesh and blood. Chapter 2, verse 20, Paul uses it to refer to his physical body or earthly existence, the life which I now live in the flesh, he says. In chapter 6, verse 12, later on, he seems to uh, talk about the, the term in the sense of external show as to you know, when we point to something saying, see what I've done, you know, showing in the flesh. But most often, Paul uses the word flesh to mean something along the lines of following a human earthly standard rather than God's standard. Flesh is a way of making decisions based on earthly criteria rather than spiritual criteria. It measures everything by what is seen in this realm, as opposed to what is unseen in the heavenly realm. In chapter 4, verse 23, Ishmael is said to have been born according to the flesh. Abraham and Sarah measured their circumstances by earthly standards and concluded that a son by Hagar was the only way God's promise could become a reality. Ishmael's conception was the result of a decision based on earthly criteria, right? Flesh becomes then the gratification of the moment. That's it. It has to do with our physical being being once, what we want for ourselves. It is a kind of um, earthly thinking that leads to this earthly action. Flesh then can lead to all kinds of sin. And we're, people who are, are guided by the flesh, they need laws. Rules and regulations are designed to keep our fleshly behavior in check. But laws never reach the heart of a man, do they? Where man makes their decisions. And it is in the heart that a man is found to be fleshly or spiritual. Spirit here is not the Holy Spirit in the, in the sense of the third person of the Godhead. That's not it. The word spirit occurs 18 times in 15 verses. It can refer to an attitude 
For example, chapter 6, verse 1, spirit of gentleness. Or possibly to the human spirit, where it says in uh, chapter 6, verse 18, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Beyond these two references, our Bibles, my, I'm using the New American Standard Bible, the word spirit always occurs with a capital S, which leads a lot of folks to conclude that the Holy Spirit is meant to be here, you know, that it's meant to be the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Um, but you do that, and you can get some erroneous conclusions and practices result from this misinterpretation. Uh, but Paul never uses the expression Holy Spirit. Uh, he simply uses just the word spirit. It's open, he opens it up to other possible meanings. Okay, and I just want you to realize this. Throughout Paul's discussion, there is a contrast, a comparison between flesh and spirit. So to, to define spirit as the third person of the Godhead presents an unbalanced comparison. You can't, you know, you can't compare apples to oranges, meaning that such a comparison is unfair, is unjustified. These two terms, spirit and flesh, represent choices that we as individuals make within our hearts, within our inner man. Chapter 4, verse 29, Paul refers to Isaac as him who was born according to the Spirit. And they, they got that word Spirit capitalized there, but it shouldn't be. Spirit has to do with making decisions in accordance with a heavenly standard rather than earthly standard, okay? Isaac was born according to the Spirit, the spiritual standard and not the fleshly standard. God's way of doing things may appear foolish to the fleshly mind, right? Who would have thought that Abraham and Sarah could have a kid at their age? Foolishness. But God can make it happen. Isaac was born as a result of Abraham's believing God's promise, while Ishmael was born by doing things his own way. You see? So, here in Galatians, Paul defines the term spirit for us. He does. He gives us the definition in chapter 4, verse 6. It is the spirit of Christ in our hearts. Let me read my Bible over there, chapter 4, verse 6 specifically. He says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, of course, they got the term spirit capitalized. But that's not, that's, I don't want to get too much into this. It has to do with God's perspective, his conclusions, his decisions. It is the only means by which Christ may live in us. If I could personally put my mind, my, my spirit, my mind and heart inside your body, then you would become like me. You would think and act just like I do. You would hate peas and corn. You would like Kentucky basketball. You would like coffee a certain way. You would do things my way. If you had my mind and heart, right? My spirit in you. Does that make sense? God wants us all to change from the sinful, fleshly-minded people what we are, into the likeness of his son, Jesus. There's nothing magical, mystical, or miraculous about this. 
It is a decision we make to truly follow Christ. It is a decision to take up the cross and die daily, right? Isn't that what Jesus constantly tells his disciples and us? Follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me? That means you make a decision to do this. And he wants you to make that decision every single day. And it happens on the level of our heart. No human being whose desire was the flesh would pick up the cross and follow Christ. The cross is representative of dying to self. And if you are about thinking about the flesh, you would do everything to protect you. But I want to kill off myself. Chris needs to die so Christ can live in me. So if we walk by this spirit, then we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 shows why this is true. The f- for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. In other words, you cannot be following fleshly desires and walking by the mind of Christ at the same time. Christ's spirit would object to anything the flesh would want to do. These things are at war with one another. So the expression, so that you may not do the things that you please, from verse 17, that implies that one is striving to walk by the Spirit. This is the Christian who has died, so Christ may now live in him. That's chapter 2, verse 20. Right? That's what Paul was talking about. He now, the person who does this, now possesses the Spirit of Christ. Since He has died and is now guided by the Spirit of Christ. He no longer does what he pleases, but rather what pleases Christ. And you do that every day by the the decisions you make. You decide, am I going to do this by the flesh or by the Spirit? It's your choice. It's your choice. Any attempt to gratify fleshly desires would be opposed to the Spirit of Christ. Verse 18, we learn that... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Under, uh, yeah, under law. So we have a new guidance system. Christians do not have rules and regulations to guide them. We have a changed nature, a new inner man. We were a people who have not merely adjusted our external behavior. Rather, we have had a complete, total makeover from the inside out. If God only wanted us to do some righteous things, then we would still be under rules and regulations. Laws are given to adjust our behavior. But God wants our minds and our hearts, our spirit. He wants us to have a new way of thinking in making decisions. He wants all of us to look like Jesus, so he wants to put the spirit of his son into our hearts. Yet this is not this is not forced upon us, you know, in a supernatural way. Some do conclude that, but yeah, I don't that's not it. That's not true. This is a decision we make to crucify our old self so that Christ may live within us. It requires our knowing Jesus so that we may take on his mind and his heart. Now, if we are being led by the thinking of Jesus, then we will not give give ourselves over to fleshly desires, which result in that kind of sinful deeds. And Paul lists these out in verses 19 to 21. And, uh, we're at verse we're at 23 minutes, so we're just going to kind of skim through those. But... Um, so we won't do that. Well, we would exhibit the fruit 
And we'll get to that in a moment. That's the spirit of Christ. And, but note the contrast between deeds and fruit. A deed is something we do and must take credit for having done. Fruit is something naturally produced uh, and for which we cannot take credit. It is natural for an apple tree to produce apples. That is its nature. If an apple tree could produce watermelons, that would be a deed indeed, wouldn't it? Paul is saying at verses 22 and 23 that if Christ's spirit is in you, then you will naturally exhibit the fruit of that spirit. You will look like Jesus and exhibit these nine characteristics of the Lord. And he adds that these are not things that could be regulated by law. Rules and regulations cannot touch the inner man to make the kinds of adjustments God is after within us, right? For example, law could never force us to love our enemies or to rejoice in trials and tribulations. Yet, this was characteristic of Jesus and will also be seen in those who possess his spirit. And so verses 24 and 25 says this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus is explained by if we live by the spirit in verse 25. And it means that we have a new life in Christ. Since now our life consists of Christ living in us. Only those who have given their heart and mind to him can be said to belong to him. Because we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so, in verse 25, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, we no longer give ourselves over to fleshly passions. Because now we live by the direction of a new spirit within us that will not give give in to our former way of doing things. So we got to, you can see, it's a challenge every day, right? So when we get up in the mornings, we need to be praying to God. We need to start with the Bible and, and reading I suggest also men write journal entries. Women write a diary. Do it in the morning. Go over your previous day and what you're going to do that day. Write it down so you can think it through and consider, am I living for the flesh or am I living for the spirit? Well, we're out of time, but I hope this is helpful and this will help you in your walk with the Lord. We need it. We need to be that light shining to our country so they can see the right way to live in us. It's Christ and him alone. Thank you, and God bless. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.